I'm Stephanie. And I'm Rachel. And this is Neurodivergent Voices, the podcast amplifying the voices and lived experience of the neurodivergent community. We're licensed occupational therapists who specialize in the brain and are neurodivergent ourselves. Join us every so often in this podcast that is for you and by you, the neurodivergent community. If you're interested in learning more about neurodiversity and joining a vibrant community of neuro-inclusive adults, head to our website, divergecommunity.com. Interested in an interview? Email divergecs at gmail.com to get it scheduled. Let's get to it. In this episode, we're going to share thoughts about sensory processing. This is just going to be Stephanie and I discussing, aka word vomiting, things about sensory processing as it relates to the neurodivergent experience. The main purpose of this show is to amplify and elevate the lived experience of neurodivergent individuals and not so much to elevate ours. But every now and again, we just love to info dump and share different information, and it might be relevant and helpful for some people. So these thoughts about episodes are going to be interspersed throughout. I hope you enjoy. Alrighty, alrighty. So the dogs are going to be a part of this? Yeah, I think it's, it's their home. I mean, <laughs> yeah, we can't just come into their home and expect. Yeah, sorry, everyone. <laughs> there will be uh, footprints. Alright, so... What are we going to do today? Well, <laughs> we're doing a lot of stuff today. We are doing a lot of stuff today. What are we doing right now? Why do we have the camera and light going, I guess? Because I gave you a book like two and a half weeks ago or something. I think it was even less. Okay. Well, I good think for it was you. a week ago. Good for you. <laughs> um, and I kind of just want to know your thoughts on it. I figured okay. we just press record and put our thoughts to podcast form. I love it. So, for some context, um, Stephanie is, she's going to cringe when I say this, but Stephanie is a sensory expert in the world of OT. She's cringing and laughing, but truly, like, she's gone through a lot of additional training and really just has kind of an innate awareness around some of this and observes it and is in tune with it in a way that is hard to teach, I think. Mm -hmm. So, anyway, she has been kind of our sensory guru within Diverge. Um, but as someone who has my own fair share of sensory differences, and as someone who wants to be able to support my clients uh, more, Stephanie has been um, really kind of teaching me a lot of strategies and providing me with a lot of resources to to learn and, I guess, get up to speed. So the most recent one she gave me is called No Longer a Secret, Unique Common Sense Strategies for Children with Sensory or Motor Challenges. And my first thought right off the bat is every piece of material I have read so far has been <laughs> aimed at children, which I think is not a unique a unique problem to sensory processing. I think that's what we see with pretty much any neurodivergent uh, condition or trait. I was going to say, there's a huge crossover. It's not everyone, but I know for like the ASD community and the ADHD community, it's some crazy statistic like... 75% experience some type of sensory processing issues. Wow. wow. That is pretty significant. Um, you know, I guess some of my initial takeaways with this book and with sensory processing in general as I'm kind of kind of diving into it um, is how... How do I phrase this? Phrase this. 
how little is known and yet how pervasive its effects are on pretty much all aspects of your life, mm-hmm. right? It, it is very obvious to me that this is a very complex system, series of systems, mm-hmm. right? Lots, lots, yeah. lots of systems. <laughs> before we get too deep into it, what are like the most commonly known sensory systems? I mean, everyone kind of knows the hearing, the touching, the seeing, all that stuff. Um, the ones that are not really talked about too much, uh, but we see a lot in the OT lens is proprioception, interoception, and vestibular. So before I get into like all the details of what each one of those is, just in general, where your body is in space and how your internal organs are feeling about certain things, like knowing to go to the bathroom, all that mm. stuff. And then there's even more systems that we don't really go into too much, but like understanding pain and temperature yeah. are all different types of sensory systems too. Mm. So it I mean, it goes on and on. We know about the most common five and it just I feel like we learn about the eight in school, but there's now neural research about even more. And just is kind of always developing and impacting because we're all sensory beings. You do not live in a vacuum, so you will experience right. a sensory experience of some sort. Right. What I think is really compelling is the physiological nature of all of this, right? So there are very real and well understood physiological mechanisms behind all of our sensations and all of our sensory processing systems. Mm-hmm. And we recognize deficits and disorders when they result in like the absence of that thing or the the loss of that thing like mm-hmm. think hearing loss or vision loss right um but it's interesting when that sensory perception or your ability to like make use of that sensory information is just different from the get-go mm-hmm. it doesn't seem to have that same level of understanding and almost like legitimacy in the medical world. Yeah. So that's another thing that I'm like, what is that about? Is mm-hmm. that just kind of indication of the ableist nature of the medical profession? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's all based. We usually only find issues when something like is lacking, like you yeah. said, where it's visually lacking the ability to see or ability to hear or other types of areas, but even you being super clumsy is just as impactful and unless it's caused by another neurological diagnosis like MS or something you don't really talk about it and we don't really talk about how it's still impacting your everyday life you know the fact that I have to now go get a new phone after I just bought this phone three months ago because I'm clumsy (laughs) you know still is very impactful and I'm running into doors or you're spraining your ankle because you don't know where your body is in space (laughs) guilty 12 times in the running Um, yeah no that's super interesting and I think it's a lot easier for us to detect and be able to perceive when we lose something that was there to begin with Mm -hmm. or if something is like malfunctioned right but if it's something that is how you were born or something that was gradual over time you yourself may not even recognize it or may not even recognize how it affects you like the functional implications of it being indicative of a sensory challenge correct right like could you give me some examples of like functional limitations someone could experience that may be due to sensory processing differences so the main one i see a lot of times which is not really heard of but now is being more recognized with 
female presenting autism and ADHD is low registration, Mm. where there's so much going around you and someone's calling your name and there's someone writing something on the board that you don't process actually that that is even occurring. You don't physically hear your name being called from across the room, even Mm. though if there was other inputs not being measured or being added, like if you were moving, you could have heard the name, but how those still impact you. Yeah. So it's like in these individuals, that threshold for like sensory input to meet their awareness is Mm -hmm. higher. Kind of, yeah. It gets a little bit deeper into yeah. that. Yeah. And it's honestly dependent on the situation, like the person's arousal level, where they already having their adrenaline going beforehand. Mm. Are they physically moving at that time? Is there a lot of stimulation occurring at that time? Right. Or not? Yeah, that's definitely some, another takeaway I had at this book is just it's not black and white. It is, there's so many multiple barriers. Um, variables and barriers Mm -hmm. that can play a role in this, which makes it even that much harder to be able to pinpoint what the deficits are or what the challenges are and ways to address them. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can also see how, like, someone you're describing as low registration could easily be, like, interpreted as other things that could Mm -hmm. be kind of harmful, right? Like, Oh, that person is... You just hear people being aloof. Oh, mm-hmm. they're just aloof. Mm-hmm. Or that person just has their head in the clouds. Or yeah. that person's... Whatever, mm-hmm. right? Or just ignoring you and being... Like, a lot of times it's, like, yeah. ignorance. Or, like, they're not attending to the task because they're just being rude, you know? Right. And I, like, have this very strong belief that, like, laziness does not exist. I feel like mm-hmm. a lot of adjectives that... Like, negative adjectives that we assign to people that kind of other them or make them less than mm-hmm. I feel like there's nine times out of ten a physiological or a real reason mm-hmm. for that behavior yeah and it's not mm-hmm. it's not one of morality or <laughs> yeah Casey Davis actually talks a lot about that in her book oh I'm gonna butcher the book it's um oh how, how to how, keep house yo my fun my face yeah. <laughs> how to keep a house from drowning um she mentions this like definition of laziness is really just all these executive functioning skills Mm. that are not being met or these inability to like initiate a task or maintain attention during a task or having the energy level to do a task how it's not just this you're not lazy there's a reason why we're not completing the task or doing the task right right so i think that probably has to play a role and why there isn't greater understanding, appreciation, and, like, intervention within our medical system and just, Mm -hmm. like, within treatment, mental health treatment as well. Mm -hmm. So, um, like, we're kind of, like, diving straight into it, which I love, but I want to take a little step back. So we introduced what the primary eight systems are, Mm -hmm. touched on the fact that there are actually more, but those are the, the primary ones we discuss. Can we talk a little bit about what sensory processing disorder is and, like, different types of sensory differences people could have? Yeah, there's, I mean, in general, sensory processing disorder is where you perceive the world differently than others and how it impacts your life in some way, shape, or form. So your sensory input system is impacting your functionality of life some way. So whether Mm -hmm. that's your ability to play with peers or engage with your loved ones, you know, because you're dysregulated or not. Um, If it's your ability to 
wash your hands or wash your body because you're having a sensory overload or Mm -hmm. whatnot, or if it's too sensory stimulating. Um, And usually people, it kind of dependent on the research and the terms that are used, but really there's like these four general quadrants, um, depending on if you, for our OT friends, if you're doing the sensory profile, is a little bit different than the STAR Institute approach. But in general, there's like these four general areas where you can differ in sensory areas. So low registration is the main one that I am automatically, we talked about off the bat, Mm -hmm. that you don't really see um, even in clinics because they're not the kids that are frankly being disruptive in class. Sure. You know, they're not the kids that we like think of like sensory seeking or sensory craving where they're constantly moving up and down. Um, being the kiddo that's jumping off a desk in the class. Like, those are the kids that are the teachers and parents are more, quote-unquote, complaining about. Um, Or the people, you know, that people notice in their co-working setting. They're like, why are they pacing back and forth? Not sure. Sure. Um, They're the person that are sitting at their desk or they're sitting um, in a corner and they don't realize that, like, the fire alarm is going Mm. off or all these other things just because there's... You know, they don't have that arousal level awareness. So you called that low, reg- it's called low registration. Yeah. Now, if we were to put that in the context of this, like the Star Institute in this book, mm-hmm. would that be um, like under responsivity? Mm-hmm. Okay, so sensory under responsivity. So you're mm-hmm. not responding enough Correct. to sensory input. Okay. Correct. Okay, so that's one. What else? Um, I kind of sneaked sensory craving and yeah. sensory seeking in there. So... How the START Institute um, describes it as a little bit different. I would say there's a lot of commonalities, though. Okay. They shouldn't be interchangeable, but for the lack of not getting into the rabbit hole, we'll use them as interchangeable. That sensory seeking and sensory craving are those kids that are being kind of more disruptive or those coworkers that you see constantly moving mm. or constantly talking. Um, mm. You see them kind of meaning to go on those like adrenaline seeking type things so i know is this one a bit of a, oh, <laughs> of yeah. a sensory seeker <laughs> i would i would say like it's me i'm yeah. the problem hello <laughs> for the people not watching this on youtube <laughs> my dog is all up in my face at the moment it wants to, her face to be touching stephanie's face at all points yeah her arms need to be rubbed mm-hmm. constantly oh my god that yeah. book too it's like Mm-hmm. Yes, I am winning. <laughs> yeah, she is a sensory seeker. Um, classic. Okay. I think most Goldens are sensory seekers <laughs> or sensory cravers. They just crave the need for some type of sensory input. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. for sure, for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we have we have sensor. We have low processing, mm-hmm. low registration. Sorry, low registration, low registration mm-hmm. sensory seeking, and then sensory craving. Is that like a more intense version of the sensory seeking, or how would you differentiate the two? Um, how the star. Institute does it is that it is kind of this more innate threshold so it's not really craving and so you need that in order to function like you Mm. need some type of adrenaline level in order to maintain functionality I see okay um yeah it's kind of more this threshold that needs to be met in order for you to function at a certain task versus like just wanting to seek out um, like the need to like seek out sensory input, like you know the need to have some gum in your mouth or something. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. And then what's quadrant four? Well, we have uh, sensory avoiding. Sensory avoiding. Okay. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm missing one. Sensory avoiding. Sense low registration. 
Huh. Sensory avoiding, would that be the same as sensory over-responding mm-hmm. in the star? Like, mm-hmm. those are pretty similar? Okay. Yeah, exactly. So, sensory avoiding or over-responding is where there's, you, like, hear the loud noise, you hear the truck, and mm-hmm. you want to go away. You hear yeah. um, all this noise in the city, and you put on your headphones. Yeah. Um, we're avoiding some type of stimuli that's occurring because we're kind of oversensitive yeah. to it. Now, this is the one that, like, most of my sensory profile, if you will, exists kind of in the sensory over-responding. And what that feels like to me mm-hmm. is um, particularly, like, with tactile input um, and, honestly, sound can do it as well. It creates, like, this feeling of anxiety within me. Mm-hmm. Like, I... It kind of uh, consumes my attention, and so it's really hard for me to focus on other things and kind of, like, fade out those inputs. So I feel like I'm always kind of, like, at this, like, higher level when those... Especially when it's, like, uncomfortable clothing or if there's a wrinkle in my sheet mm-hmm. or, like, a wetness. Um, and so I feel like that's the one I most... Like, I can, like... Oh, yeah, I get that. I see what that... I, see what that feels like mm-hmm. the sensory craving and the sensory seeking to me are are a little bit harder for me to conceptualize because I'm trying to like for me it's just hard to tease the two apart and mm-hmm. be like so what is other than like this arousal threshold mm-hmm. or this threshold of sensory input like what is the response difference like does one help you maintain focus while the other one makes you more distracted or mm-hmm. how does that work uh, it could look like the same type of response to mm. it. It's more not necessarily the response of how we do it. So oftentimes, um, for you, Rachel, I know you like to have your breaks where you're moving your body, mm. um, where you're kind of, you're like, okay, my body just has to move and all that. And it's not necessarily, it might just be a different type of sensory seeking or sensory craving, whether you like seek the need to yeah. move your body or you're like, okay, no, I need this as a threshold level. Like, mm. I'm not going to be able to maintain functionality if I sit here long enough. Okay. Um, but either yeah. way. A want versus a need almost? Yeah, kind of. Okay. Yeah. I'd say it goes way more in depth into the Star Institute, and I don't. This is not a sponsor for Star Institute. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I just want to make that clear, yeah. uh, very clear. This is not a sponsor for Star Institute. I think um, if we're kind of getting into the nitty-gritty, it's a very expensive course with a lot of similar information that's kind of already put out there. Um, yeah. And there's just a lot of lack of research in general for sensory. Mm-hmm. So if you can get a similar course with the same info, um, you don't necessarily need a Star Institute certification and whatnot. I know I have, just because I've taken the how many many hours of doing it, Um, but I even decided not to do the full level two certification just because even a lot of times these examples that they use, especially for Star, are kind of more seen on, frankly, like the people that can afford private pay, (laughs) really intense therapy. Um, And when you ask about, like, really more complex type of patients or whatever that we would work on these with, um, there's not any good answer to it because the research alone is just so lacking. So I think we just have to go back to that research level of understanding how our sensory 
like how we process sensory mm-hmm. impacts our lives and how we can change interventions based off of it. I see. Mm-hmm. So would you would you say that this is like kind of a correct summary? Is mm-hmm. that research exists in how we take in sensory information. Correct. So the actual, what's the term I'm looking for? The actual perception, like the physiological perception or Mm -hmm. the physiological intake. I can't think of the word right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Well-researched, but Mm -hmm. kind of that link between how we interpret and then how that presents or in our body is less. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I think in general, until we really have more research on those links, um, you know, I feel like it's a very subjective thing sometimes. Like, what is impacting your life is going to be different than others, and how you interpret your sensory system is going to be different than others. Um, Just, you know, how some kids are... And I use kids a lot because I'm primarily a pediatric therapist. uh, But how some kids are jumping up and down in the classroom, but it's not impacting the other kids and they're still getting A's in the class. Mm. So although, like, we could technically label them as a sensory seeker, sensory yeah. because they're jumping up and down in the classroom, if it's not impacting, like, their ability to attend right. the, class, the classes that they're taking or impacting others, which really, mm. frankly, I don't really care if it impacts <laughs> others right. if we're talking from personal yeah. type of experience. But um, in general, I think it's just your own experience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, kind of on a different note, I think within like, like the last 10 years, there has been kind of this, this push towards fidgets and like this kind (laughs) of quote unquote sensory awareness where it's kind of like this one size, this one size fits all. We're like, everyone should have a fidget. Everyone should sit on inflatable balls and bounce around. Like, what are your thoughts on this kind of public perception? And is it a good thing? Is it mis- is it actually taking us further away from where we need to be? I don't think it's taking us further away. But I think a lot of times, just like in general with capitalism, it's being manipulated and misinterpreted. Yeah, and monetized <laughs> yeah. a bit too much. Um, and frankly, we all want that quick fix. You know, like, oh, I'm going to feel better if I have um, this fidget in my classroom and I will attend to the homework assignment or I will tend to work better. But really, it's whatever's going to be helpful for you to focus and function. Yeah, for your specific sensory needs. Correct. Yeah, and honestly, like, it doesn't have to be labeled as a fidget. I tell parents all the time that, you know... If a kid is kind of chewing on their pencil, having, like, carrots or celery or, like, other crunchy type of foods during lunch can be just as impactful Mm. and increase that oral motor sensory seeking that's happening. And that would still be labeled as a fidget or a sensory tool. Mm. You know, something I really did enjoy in this book, and I took a picture of of some of these pages I liked, but one of them was talking about what makes a functional fidget versus a toy. Mm -hmm. And one of the distinctions that they made was a functional fidget should really only engage one sensory system. Mm -hmm. When you have multiple sensory systems being engaged by that, that is becoming more of a distraction than it really is, like, meeting that sensory need for you. So, like, an example might be something 
that spins and clicks and makes a sound. Yeah, or has the lights Lights, on it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So not only is that a distraction and then a toy for that individual, right, but then that becomes a distraction towards others. And so this book really kind of promoted, like, hey, functional fidgeting should be items that are, like, so commonplace and ordinary that, like, they wouldn't be a distraction or even be an obvious Mm -hmm. fidget. So, like, they talked about, like, oh, hair ties, rubber bands, erasers, your pen, Mm -hmm. right? Things that you already have. So I think this whole, like, monetizing and marketing of fidgets is good in the sense that it makes people care about sensory and be, like, kind of aware. Yeah. But I, I almost feel like we're kind of wasting our money when we're, like, we already have fidgets everywhere. Correct. Yeah. I mean, in general, I think, like, if we're going to the wasting the money component <laughs> of this, like, people, if it says sensory on it, people will throw all the money under the moon yes. towards it. And I, I love, like, family members that are buying all this, like, a compression vest specifically that's sensory, sensory vest. Rela- a sensory vest that's mm-hmm. related um, and when I tell them, go buy Under Armour that's on sale, that's yeah. just like a little size too small, mm-hmm. it does the same thing. And honestly, it probably does more because it's hitting more areas instead of just a vest. It's getting your arms and all that. It's going to be way more impactful. And guess what? It was a hundred times cheaper on right. sale. You know, it was, it's just not. Yeah. I, yeah. That's so true. <laughs> if you, if you look up anything on Amazon and type sensory before it, I mean, it's, it's crazy. They'll have like literally like a sensory umbrella. Like what does yeah. that mean? Oh, it's because it has a fun color. Yeah. Like, okay. But you're charging all the price because of that. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think having the awareness of what our sensory systems are, what those kinds of systems, what kind of input they seek mm-hmm. can really allow us to be a lot more creative and resourceful with what we already have. Mm-hmm. But I don't think people have those, that prerequisite knowledge really correct and I think that's in general on our fault and like society's fault for just using it more as a capitalistic knowing Mm -hmm. that like oh it's gonna help my kid and we want to do anything to help the children (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna capitalize on it but that's yeah yeah I mean and that's also why all the books are labeled with kids Right. Like, it's, the whole cover of that has kids on it. It says, you know, yeah. um, for children with sensory and motor challenges, even though we're all sensory beings, and just because you turn, you know, 16, 18, you don't start to live in a vacuum and don't experience <laughs> the world, but right. apparently that's what we do. Um, the same thing for, like, the declarative language book uh, mm-hmm. that I showed you a couple, like, it's it's all brought towards parents and stuff. Right. And a lot of these almost parenting type books or these therapy treatment books for kids that are labeled as kids could be impactful so for adults. Mm-hmm. If we just take it back and take it out of the mindset of, oh, we're training a child. Like, no, yeah. you too might be seeking out sensory needs. But I definitely feel like, and I, I completely agree with that, but I, I definitely feel like there is certainly a need for some of this this information to really be presented in the lens of adults because yes. even though like yes I as a clinician and someone very familiar with reading research can extrapolate and generalize like 
there are so many examples in these kinds of things that just don't really relate to adults. Like, how does this look in the classroom? How does this look mm-hmm. on the playground? And you're thinking, okay, but how does this look in the workplace? How is this yeah. actually preventing me from keeping a job? Mm-hmm. How does this look in a romantic relationship where, exactly. like, I'm having issues with intimacy, mm-hmm. right? And those, I think, is where so much, I think that we can contribute, and I think that mm-hmm. others within the OT profession and those with sensory experience kind of need to because yeah. like you said 75 to 80 percent mm-hmm. of neurodivergent individuals experience some sort of sensory processing difference yes. with autism or um ADHD. ADHD yeah I mean we I mean in general you're a sensory being and I feel like you should know kind of yeah. how your body like you can't if you're human you ha- experience <laughs> right you have a sensory system yeah so you should be able to identify you know, kind yeah. of your triggers and things that are going to be over stimulating for you under stimulating for you right. you know just like how people become aware that they they don't love roller coasters or they, they do yeah. love roller coasters same thing it's just being aware of yourself um anyone yeah. can use that now, I think um, I, I think this might be best saved for our next rant, but, like, kind of a bridge I want to make for something to talk about more later on is how does the sensory, how do our sensory systems interact with our nervous system, mm-hmm. and how does that result in some of, like, the very real kind of emotional and behavioral uh, difficulties that we experience as adults yeah. play out, right? Because I think it, it's easy to just be like, oh... This person needs to chew on a pen or whatever. Mm-hmm. But why? Why is that something that is so um, disabling for that yeah. person? Why is that preventing them from being able to have mm-hmm. a productive work life? Yeah. And I think so much of that is tied into nervous system arousal. Correct. Which I kind of want to save for another one because I want to talk all about like different regulation strategies, zones of regulation, all of that. Mm-hmm. And we like to try and keep our episodes around a half hour, so, mm-hmm. which fair we just enough. hit. Yeah. <laughs> and we can have a TikTok live in like 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. That is so fair. we should probably... Um, any kind of like little wrap-up things or things I didn't ask about that you're like, I'm dying to tell you about this. Um, I mean, in general, I can go on for sensory <laughs> stuff forever, but I would say in general for people listening and being like, okay, now I'm more confused than ever. Just, you know, <laughs> yeah. am I this or that? Especially for the systems, you could be all of these things. You can be low registration, you can be sensory seeking. It's kind of dependent on the situation or the environment mm. or like you were trying to talk about the arousal level that we can discuss it next time, but how you experience the world after a loss of someone, a loss of a job, or in a noisy environment, or your dog keep on coming in and out of right. the podcast space uh, is going to be different <laughs> than other times that you experience life, you know? When it's so, you can experience all these things at different times, and I, you don't put yourself in a little box because that's just right. not how the world works. We don't live in a vacuum, or there's no like variable and changes. Even if you stay in your house year round, guess what? The sun is still changing. Mm. The outside side light that's coming in is still changing. The weather is still yeah. changing. It's still going to change your sensory system that you're interpreting. So. Don't try to just say, like, oh, I'm a sensory seeker, a sensory craver. You can definitely say, you know, these are some mm-hmm. themes and things that occur often in my life. However, don't, like, limit yourself yeah. to that. Because if you start looking for specific, like, A plus B equals C for sensory, you're not going to get much anywhere. 
Right. And I think that is such an important point, and I think that's also something that might be challenging for a lot of our neurodivergent listeners. Mm -hmm. Like, even for me, like, I'm very much someone that likes to have a protocol, and, like, if this happens, then this, right? And I think that's really tough to do when it is so context and situation dependent. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'd also be interested in the future episodes to talk about, like, hey, what are some ways our neurodivergent brains can wrap our heads around this and Mm -hmm. still be in tune and appropriately respond to our needs. Oh, good timing! Yeah. All right. Adios, muchachos. <laughs> I don't know. It's Cinco de Mayo and we were just having tacos. And yeah. I don't know. Okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs>